Thank you, choir. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this season and all that it means, Lord, to us as we just are reminded of your great uh, gift and your pursuit of us in our darkness to shine the light upon us and to give us eternal life. And Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to grow in our walk with you during this season and our passion for worship. And Lord, just to have a greater understanding of your grace in our lives. I pray, Lord, for this message that you would uh, encourage our hearts through it and, Lord, challenge us in our walk with you, uh, Father, that we might walk as children of light. And we'll thank you for doing that through your spirit and by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this fall I have witnessed some beautiful moonlit evenings. Perhaps um, you saw the harvest moon that took place not long ago, and then the supermoons in which the moon looks so near and, uh, and so large. When we think about uh, those moons, sometimes you're driving down the road and all of a sudden it's just right there in your face. We've also had a partial moon eclipse that took place a few weeks ago. The moon is magnificent, isn't it? And, uh, and it's important regarding life on earth itself, apart from the moon and its uh, being fixed where it is, there would be no life really on this planet. No human life would be sustained. But one thing we know about the moon is that it has no natural light. It does not produce light. Rather, its glow is a reflection of the sun that is always shining on it. During the month of December, as we are focusing upon Christmas and the birth of Christ into an in, uh, earthly incarnation in Jesus of Nazareth, his coming is spoken in Scripture to us in terms of, um, I'll share with us in part, as light coming to the world. In John chapter 1, verse 9 that we looked at last week, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Last week we talked about how we are beneficiaries of that light. And today in a message that I'm calling Living Reflections of the True Light, we're going to explore how we who are beneficiaries of the light are now called to be the ones who reflect that light that now indwells us. The series over these uh, next couple of weeks is called Celebration of Light, and uh, we will pick up on this next Sunday and close it out on Christmas Eve, and we'll be having a time of the Lord's Supper as well on Christmas Eve in a way that you can uh, kind of partake with your family for those who have been saved and baptized and teach your kids through it as well. Our text this morning, though, is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5. So if you would turn there and look at this with me. And I'm going to ask you today, if you would, to stand in honor of God's word as we read it. I encourage you to read along with us. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore. Literally, it says, mimic God. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, 
no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You may be seated, and may God bless his word. The contrast of light and darkness is one uh, we find in various places in the New Testament. And again, it is associated with many of the themes related to Christmas and the Incarnation. Last week, we saw how John talked about light both in his gospel and in the epistle of 1 John. Today, we see that the Apostle Paul also draws upon this theme of light in some of his letters, and clearly do we see that here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The contrast Paul is wanting us to see is, again, related to a moral difference. There is a difference between light and darkness. There is a difference between the lives of true believers and those who are unbelievers. And that being true, there are implications for us then in our daily lives. And so in this passage, in chapter 5, he's following the theme of walking as you walk, as you live. It's literally talking about as you walk around. Your life is to be a particular way as a follower of Jesus. And that is you're to be a follower of the light, a reflection of the light. And that's what I want to touch upon this morning as we think more about this theme of light and darkness during this Christmas season. And again, the title today is Living Reflections of the True Light. And so in pursuing this theme with the believers in Ephesus, Paul does so through first displaying a contrast and expressing concern. I just have two broad points today. He first displays concern in this passage, but also out of this we would know that he's expressing concern as he contrasts light and darkness. As we've read this passage in Ephesians, Paul is obviously writing to believers. This is to the church at Ephesus, right? And he's writing to help them. Ephesus may be a circular letter because in some of the manuscripts, early ones, it doesn't have to Ephesus, but it's more like a letter that was directed to that region in some way. But we know it certainly is being read in Ephesus, the largest city there and the church there. And Paul is concerned about these believers as they continue to live in the very pagan and dark environment of Ephesus and indeed the Roman Empire. And as you read these words, you have something going on here in these, uh, this passage. Either they have some people in their sphere of influence who have some spurious beliefs and they may be seeking to teach them that it doesn't matter what you do with your body because the body has no lasting influence. We simply are spiritual beings and the body's going to go away. Material things are, are 
not eternal. Material things don't last. Material things don't matter. And so whatever you do with your body, it really does not have any consequence. So use your body in any way that you want. And so sexual immorality is where he focuses, and perhaps that's where they were focusing in their lives. But the idea is live the way you want. It won't hurt your spirit. Or if it isn't that teaching that's going on, which was there in the ancient world, and afflicting uh, believers or affecting the church. If it's not that, perhaps they're just being pulled and influenced by their neighbors who are unbelievers in regard to their personal lives. Either way, some of these relatively new believers are under threat of succumbing to these pressures. And Paul is telling them that you cannot go in that direction, for you are light in the Lord, in contrast to those who live uh, ethically sinful lives, they are darkness. Notice Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live or walk as children of light. Notice it isn't that they are in darkness or in light. He is saying you are either light or darkness. Believers are light, and those who are not believers are darkness. One is in one place or another. He warns them then not to be fooled about there being shades of gray in between. One is either light or darkness. Darkness is characterized by, in this particular context, he deals with the issues of sexual immorality, all types of moral impurity and covetousness. Those are the three things he brings out in the beginning here. And so this would include that those living in darkness or living in sexual relationships outside of marriage between a man and a woman, fornication, adultery, or sexual relations with prostitutes. Then he talks about impurity. There must not be sexual immorality in verse 3 or any kind of impurity. That's a more broad term. And you can see that cross-referenced in chapter 4, verse 19, where he says about Gentiles, those in darkness, Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So sensuality would be other types of immoral experiences, like what we see and hear, listen to, think about. And then he moves into the idea of greed here, and the word is really covetousness. Wanting what is not rightly ours... And that could include wanting other people that are not rightfully ours in illicit sexual relationships. And from that, then he moves to the tongue, chapter 5, verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Why do those things get tied together? Because the tongue expresses and reinforces the baseness of fallen human nature. Those things always go together. And so while the world jokes about these things, thinks them not too serious, says that they are natural and should be embraced and expressed, God calls those who are light to have a clear line that separates them and how they live and how they walk from the darkness. And so he says in chapter 5, verse 3, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. He says it's not even good to talk about it, down in verse 12. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And so we shouldn't be living this way, and we shouldn't be thinking this way, right? We shouldn't be talking this way, because we are now light in the Lord. And while the world thinks these things to be 
easy, light matters of no consequence. Paul says this darkness is truly darkness. It shows that you're not in the life of God. It shows a life separated from the life and the light of God. And he warns in chapter 5, verse 6, or 5 and 6, about um, the coming wrath. For of this you can be sure. You can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Those things he repeats there. Such a person is an idolater. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. That is, that these things don't matter. They do. He says, because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, this truth has not changed. Even in our world that talks about immorality, that displays immorality. In a world that thinks it is prudish and unnatural to not pursue any impulse one may have. The warning is that wrath will fall on those who live in this way. And he isn't telling these believers that if they lapse and fall into some sin, or if they're, right, they trip up somewhere, he's not saying there's no forgiveness, or that one is condemned for still struggling with sinful temptations and tendencies. No, we are secure and forgiven in Christ the idea and the picture is if we're light, we're going to be confessing those things, turning from those things, not pursuing those things. And there's a distinction between light and darkness. How much clearer of a distinction could he draw between light and darkness? And usually those who live in this darkness as well, they develop an arrogance about it. Our culture has developed an arrogance about its sensuality, pride in its sinfulness. We hear the word pride used a lot in relationship to sexual sinfulness. And not only is there a pride and a haughtiness that develops in the darkness, the darkness also loathes, sometimes secretly, sometimes openly, those who don't live in the darkness. It's amazing how sometimes people don't think Christians know what's going on in the secret talk, the cutting off conversation, those kinds of, you know, those things in the workplace, right? Or when the pastor comes to the house and they get the Bible out and <laughs> that kind of thing, right? I never noticed those things. But, but that haughtiness is there. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, when he says, for you, that is, you Christians, people in the light, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living, and the dead. And so when you and I look at the lights of Christmas, and they're so beautiful. We have lights all around us in this room today, and it's going to be really beautiful in here uh, tonight. I'm excited to see what Kevin's wearing tonight. Can't wait for that. But um, when we look around at the lights of Christmas, they should remind us that our lives are to be distinct, morally from the darkness we find around us. They cannot be otherwise if we are light. 
And Paul indicates that we're to bring our wills to bear upon this. We're to make deliberate steps. That's why he follows the theme of walking. When he says, live as children of the light, walk as children of the light, he is saying we must take deliberate steps now that we're followers of Jesus in contrast to the children of darkness. And so he says again in verse 4, if you go back to our passage in Ephesians 5, what a great, great text this is. So he says in Ephesians 5, verse 4, Nor should there be obscenity, but rather, he says, let there be thanksgiving. In verse 6, don't let anybody deceive you. Verse 7, don't be partners with them. Don't be partakers. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so he is telling them how they're to live. Verse 15, that goes beyond, he's turning the corner, but he says, be very careful then how you live or how you walk. That is, we're to have deliberate steps that we take as children of light that distinguishes how we live from the darkness. We're to have aversion to the darkness. It's like when you and I walk into a dark room. What's the first thing you look for if you walk into a dark room? The light switch, don't you? You know, none of our restrooms on this campus have a, have a window in them. It's up over in the old building. They're very dark. You walk into a room and you have to look for the light switch. Some of them in our church are now automatic. They just come on when you walk in there. But we want light, don't we? We look for light when we find ourselves encountering darkness. And so Paul is telling them, he's warning them, he's concerned about them as they're living in a world that is dark, that they remember they are the light. And you and I need to remember when we see the light that we are light in the Lord and deliberate steps should be taken to live in contrast from the darkness that we used to be. But Paul is not calling us simply to a contrasting lifestyle. He is doing that, but he would also be calling us to concern for those who are darkness. He's reminding us as well, and he would be, that we're to be now people that are concerned for those who are in darkness. You know, we're only light because of the grace of God, right? There is nothing intrinsically light about us apart from Christ. Nothing intrinsically good about us in that way. No, the light of Christ has shone upon us. We are beneficiaries of, the God, of God's grace. We reflect the living light of Christ that now indwells us. He delivered us from darkness. Isn't that what this season's all about? He came seeking after us. He delivered us from darkness and brought us into the light. And we have been blessed beyond measure. And so when we see the light and are reminded of what God has done for us, we, of all people, should have compassionate and merciful spirits toward those who are still in the darkness. Our salvation is a cause for humility. It is never a cause for pride in any way whatsoever. We are humble recipients of the grace of God, and we're to be humble people. And so the spirit that's to be found in us now is expressed in the beginning of this chapter. Go back to chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of what? Love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
This is the only place in the New Testament where we're called to mimic God. It's the word mimetai. Mimic God. Mimic God in his heart to save, his heart to give, his heart to love. Now, in the context, in the first three verses of chapter 5, it begins with the therefore. He is, he's alluding back to telling the Christians how to live with each other in love, in the life of the church. And he's building upon that. But the idea also and calling is one that's to be extended by us to those who are in darkness. And we know this is what God is like because he himself saw us in darkness and in love he sent his son, right? It's what God's, John's gospel, the true light, the light of every man is coming to the world. And as you think about Christ coming into the world, we hear things like this in the gospel of John in chapter, uh, chapter 8. In verse 12, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But who sent him? If you go down to verse 16 of John 8, Jesus says, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. The Father sent him into the world to redeem because he loved the world that was in darkness. He wanted to save. In John chapter 3 and verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so we know that this is the heart of God, that he is absolutely pure, and he has shown his light upon us. We're to be humble, and that we receive that as a gift. And then following him, we're to have compassion and mercy for those who are still darkness. Because our Father is like that. We know this from Jesus as he was walking around in his incarnate life. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we come to that very expressive verse where the word is talking about Jesus being in knots inside. You ever been so, so moved emotionally that you feel like you're in knots inside? Well, that's the word that's used in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36, when it says, When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. He's moved internally because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so we also know this from Paul as well, who after he became light, after his conversion, he did not sit in judgment of the lost people around him, but he was burdened for them. This is what needs to be produced in our lives for those who are still in the darkness where Paul says this in Romans chapter 9 about his own people, the fellow Jews who were still in uh, darkness. In Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul says, I would give up my salvation if it would bring them to Christ. What a great heart. We hear that as well in the book of Acts chapter 20 when he's meeting with these uh, pastors from Ephesus. So he's on his way back to Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested, eventually taken to Rome and be killed. But on his way back, he calls the pastors from Ephesus to meet him at a particular place on the way where he's in a ship and he goes ashore. And so they come to meet him. 
And he says this to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 following. It says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the pastors of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. This is Paul, the church planter. He planted these churches. He was the Christian who came to many of these places, the first ambassador. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. But notice he had opponents. People didn't like him, didn't like his message, but notice he had humility, tears. He was burdened. Verse 20, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And so this year, when you look at the lights, and I hope in future years, if you ever remember anything about this sermon, that you will be reminded, and that I'll be reminded, that we're to live in contrast to darkness if we're children of light. And we're to take deliberate steps always in our lives toward that end. And then also that we're to have compassion like God who sent the light to save us. Like Jesus who was moved over the people who were walking in darkness and they've seen the great light but he was burdened for them as sheep without a shepherd. Like Paul who says I tried to reach you with tears and I would give up my salvation if you might be saved. Well, when he's telling these believers in Ephesus to live as children of light, he's telling them to live that life of contrast but also remember to be humble because you only are what you are because of the grace of God and have compassion for those around you who are still darkness because but for the grace of God, there you would be. But while there is the sense of God's call for us then to turn away from the morality or the immorality and lifestyle of darkness, and while there is a call for us to have compassion for those who are still existing in darkness, there is also the call to be reflections of the light with a vision for how we are living. Living reflections of the true light. That's the central thing I'm trying to get to this morning as we look at this text. Chiefly, we want to live, first of all, in a way that pleases the Lord as we grow to be more like Him. And so in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Well, we know what pleases the Lord from His Word, from the ethics of Scripture, but also things come up that we have to find out his will, new things that face us in the world. We have to walk as believers and find those things walking together, what's, what God wants. But one thing we do know is this, is this life of what is pleasing to the Lord, he tells us some characteristics of it in verse 9. He says, live as children of the light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light, reminds us that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't, but it's literally in the text, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness Righteousness and truth. Those are three big categories. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And we could unpack those things deeply, but we're not going to for time's sake. But beyond that, as living reflections of light, we're to be seeking to live in a way that, listen, 
in a way that transforms the darkness around us. We have compassion for those in darkness, but the idea that I want us really to see this morning that we're to live with a vision for the light that has transformed us and is transforming us to begin to transform them. I want to live a life that is holy and pleasing unto the Lord because I want to please Him. Because I am a person who has been born again and have the light and am light in the Lord. And I'm to take those deliberate steps to live differently than the world and to have compassion on those who are still in darkness. But there's also the call to understand that my desire and drive and pursuit of holiness, of living out the ethic of light, is because I am to be a person that is reflecting the light, a light that is transformative in the lives of others. And so I I want to dig into this with you for just a moment. Perhaps you've never really noticed what Paul says here in Ephesians 5, verses 13 and 14, but I want you to look at it with me very closely. It's easy to read over it and not think about it or to say, I don't really know what that means, so I'm going to move on. But we need to stop and really hear what he says here. Would you read it out loud with me, verses 13 and 14, Ephesians 5? But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is the idea? Well, while a few theories have been uh, offered, the central idea of what Paul is saying is captured well in the Phillips translation of the New Testament, which is on the screen. The font may be a little bit small, so let me read it for you. The Phillips translation is a British translation coming out of World War II. It's a great translation of the New Testament in places, but this is really good. Here's how J.B. Phillips translated this. For light is capable of showing up everything for what it really is. It is even possible for light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. Thus it is said, Awake thou sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. The idea is that as we seek to live out the characteristics of the light, it brings perhaps conviction to hearts around us that are bound in darkness. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And remember Jesus talked about people wouldn't come to the light because they didn't want their deeds exposed in John chapter 3. But the idea is that we live our lives in a particular way. God does use that to speak to those bound in darkness. And that may be one of the ways the Spirit convicts the world. You remember in the Gospel of John, in chapter 16, where Jesus is talking about he's about to go away. Now, Jesus has been walking around in the world preaching, and people are getting convicted of their sin. They really got convicted. They nailed him to a cross. But Jesus says, I'm going to send somebody like me to be with you, to be in you, the Holy Spirit, right? Living in us as Christians. And then he says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come notice to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's going to indwell you as Christians. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. But notice he says they won't see righteousness in me because I'm going to the Father. Where are they going to see righteousness? They're going to see it in you. Living as the children of light with the fruit of light. The point is that the Holy Spirit may be out in the world just convicting hearts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit often convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment by the holy lives of the people of God who are living as children of the light. That's the point. And so that may bring hatred of the world upon us, as it did Jesus at times. Many loathe the truly holy life lived out in their presence, and yet God will use it because light has power to shine, to illuminate the darkness, and sometimes do its work to bring people to desire to turn from darkness to light. It beckons us then to rise and be shone upon by Christ. It beckons those who are in darkness. There was a famous evangelist in the 1800s. He had very flaming blue eyes, a very tall man. And he traveled and preached all over the country. And many people turned to Christ through his preaching. And in one town he went to, he Went to visit a factory. He'd often speak to the factory workers. They shut the factory down. He would go speak to the factory in the town. And in one particular town he went to, there were two women working in the factory. They were out there, and uh, they were flirting with him, propositioning him. And when he realized what they were doing, he became very grieved in his heart. And he just welled up with tears in his eyes and began to run down his cheeks. The holiness of Christ was upon him. He was burdened for them. And God used that moment of, of that encounter with somebody who was passionate for holiness and burdened for them to smite their hearts that were in darkness and they both, right at that moment, surrendered their lives to Christ and were saved on the spot. And so we're to be reminded as we see Christmas lights that we're to be living reflections of the light. We are now light in the Lord. We display the light in the life of Jesus. It is to be a life that is morally distinct both in outward behavior and inward disposition when it comes to the world. It is a type of life we have come to by grace. We are not intrinsically better than anyone else. And thus should we be humble and thankful. Being light, we're to have compassion and concern for those who are still in darkness. And thus we live carefully, as the text says. We're careful how we walk, chapter 5, verse 15 says. And we do this not only to please the Lord, but in hopes that our lives can now shine into the darkness which may bring conviction, but it also may bring about ultimate salvation 
for others. That's the point. Look back again in this passage as we wrap this up. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. As my light can shine upon them, it exposes the darkness, it can illuminate the light, but also it is a beckoning to those who are spiritually dead. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is, my life can be God's call to them to come out of death to life and come out of darkness to light by allowing Christ to shine on them. And so there is a purpose in our pursuit of holiness as believers. It is to please Him and to be the light to those around us who are in darkness. Father, we thank You for giving us the light and calling us to salvation that we might be beneficiaries of Your grace and we humbly stand before You as believers to say, Thank you. You loved us before we first loved you. You showed us our darkness and gave us your Son and showed us the way of salvation. And now, Lord, you have called us as beneficiaries of the light. Lord, to be people who are living reflections of the light that lives within us. God, help us to live distinctly careful how we walk from the world around us a world that always wants to blur the lines is always putting pressure on us Lord and in our weakness it's easy to let the lines get blurred we pray for your grace that we would uh, be very careful how we walk and how we speak and how we think take those steps Paul talks about and then Lord God, give us compassion and concern for those in darkness. Your compassion, Father, who in your love sent your Son to die, to deliver us. Your compassion, Jesus. To have the compassion that the Apostle Paul said that he would give up his salvation for his fellow Jews if they would come to Jesus. And that he humbly sought to be the light, Lord, with tears as he reached out to those in Ephesus and other places as your ambassador and Father we pray as we see the lights of Christmas that we will Lord be challenged to remember that we are to live our lives with a sense of mission to live holy lives not only to please you but God that we might be that light that shines on others that our lives will be distinct. You might speak to their hearts through that, to put a longing in their hearts. That, Lord, they might hear your call to rise, sleeper, rise from the dead, that Christ can shine upon you. Lord, your church, our church, we, me, we need your help in this day and in this culture to reclaim the ground of living as children of light. Lord, we want to be ambassadors, which we'll talk about, Lord, in the days ahead, as you know. But, Lord, that we will, um, Father, just um, know that our lives are to be distinct because we belong to you. And while we want to reach people, Lord, we 
we are being delivered from darkness to light and we're different by your grace give us passion to pursue that and now Lord as we come to this time of commitment as we sing an old hymn about your soft and tender voice that calls we pray that just uh, Lord proper responses will be made both seen and unseen we'll thank you for it in Jesus name would you stand with me as we prepare to sing you know light is all about hope and I just want you to hear either in this room or online today that you you may not have given your life to Christ yet just know there's never too dark a place for Christ to shine on you and to give you eternal life. The lives of believers are a reflection of that, of His power to give life and light. We were dead. Christ called us. He gave us light in His grace. All the gift we've received is available to anybody. All you do is reach out and take it. Call on Christ to shine on you and give you life. Maybe you've longed for the life you've seen in some believers. Maybe a workmate, a parent or a grandparent, your husband or your wife or even your child. God's been speaking to your heart about the fact that um, there's just something different that's there. And I need that in my life. I need Jesus. Well, it's available. All of us needed forgiveness. They needed it. We all needed new life and light and new birth. Perhaps God is calling you today through them, through how they've lived before you, to give your life to Jesus. And as we look at the lights that will be lit up in this room again tonight and drive around, are we living as light? Are we seeking to cooperate with Christ who lives in us by His Spirit? taking those steps. If not, what a great time to reconsecrate our walk with Him. And maybe others of you are ready to take next steps of baptism or to unite with this church. You've completed our membership class. We welcome you today to come as we sing. We won't tarry long, but we invite you to come as God so leads you.